Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to episode 273. Uh, we're going to feed off our last episode of the Second Empire, Second Empire, as some call it. Um, there was a huge prevalence of um, contrasting painting surfaces in these houses, and a lot of times they used sanded paint. So tonight's episode is titled Sanded Paint. So, uh, sanded paint is a decorative finish that imitates stone by sprinkling sand onto fresh, wet paint. The result gives the appearance of stone because the grains of bare sand are exposed to view. Much different than the later practice of mixing sand into a pot of paint and then brushing it on, which leaves the grains of sand covered with paint. Sanded paint was used on cornices, door frames, window surrounds, decorative porch elements, and similar wooden parts of masonry buildings from the late 18th all the way through the 19th centuries. While it was also recommended to soften the look and increase the durability of the paint, the primary purpose was to make a substitute material, usually wood, look like brownstone limestone, or any other of easily worked sedimentary freestones. Sometimes it was used on metals like cast iron or even stones of different types to give a uniform appearance. Sanded paint even had humbler uses on concrete foundations and pedestals for urns and bird baths. So let's, let's get into a case history what I was involved in a few years ago. So the project was to repair the woodwork on the rear porch of a Victorian mansion and to recoat it with sanded paint. The mansion uh, was constructed of brownstone and brick masonry in the 1850s. And the rear entrance porch is one of several wooden porches and bays attached to the main building. When originally built, the wood was finished with sanded paint to imitate brownstone. But through the years, many coats of sanded paint and plain paint had been added, unfortunately. Neither painter um, of the painters, um, nor in the past, nor I had worked with the sanded paint before. And we were more than a little apprehensive about uh, how to proceed. So both the paint's appearance and its long-term ability to protect the wood were very important for this job. In addition, we had to use commercially available products so this special finish could be easily reproduced in future years. And of course, the work had to come out right the first time. There were no second shots at this. So while doing some reading on the topic, I learned how George Washington, particularly at Mount Vernon, handled sanded paint projects on his house. From a note he wrote in 1796, he tested different kinds of sand on two freshly painted boards, let them dry, and then judged the results. If George did the testing, so we would have to also. And anyone that's down to Mount Vernon, take a look. And if you didn't know anything about sanded paint, you would notice that the finish of the house as you stand in line to go in the house is so very different and, and that's this is the reason so so in the past 
sand painters used oil and lead paint and sand made from crushed stone or collected at a nearby river bank or beach. They washed, dried, and sifted the sand and then tossed it by the fistful onto the wet paint or rigged up bellows and a cup to blow on the sand. So I found that the modern materials and equipment work equally as well today. Ordinary, high-quality house paint, hand-brushed, sprayed, or rolled on, ready-to-use sand from commercial suppliers, and an air compressor to apply the sand. Here, I'll show you how we develop the formulas and methods so that you can use the same general process in your own project at home. So deciding what the final finish would look like is an important first step. The job is easy if all that is required is that you come up with something that looks good. It's more difficult to match an existing finish. Brownstone, for instance, is a natural sandstone that may have strips and swirls and of varied colors throughout. Matching these swirls with different sand colors is difficult over large areas. Earlier sanded paint often had a flat, even appearance over its whole surface. If this is the goal, the job is made much, much easier. So at the Victorian and Albert uh, mansion, so you, you took a basic look at the approach of mat matching some of these original sanded paint, um, imitating brownstone and two earlier sanded paint restorations. So I could, couldn't just match surfaces near the porch because the formulas and methods would eventually be used to maintain the whole building, as is common with old brownstone work. I struck a compromise and came up with a single treatment that doesn't match anything in particular, but has a default appearance that compares reasonably with any part of the building. So it's that middle ground that I found. So not so subtle variations in the sanded paint finish can be due to different lighting conditions, such as direct sunlight, deep shadows, or dim overcast weather. The only way to judge their influence is with a set of simple panels that you can move around to various parts of the building at different times of the day. Making simple panels first required gathering together all the special materials and equipment needed for the full-scale project. So let's talk about the sand. To analyze the original sanded project, a sample of the first layer was destroyed in a solution of lye and water. The sand was then filtered out and the mixture was dried, giving a small sample of the original sand. Looking at the sample with a pocket microscope, I could see that the sand was made up of light brown grains in a range of sizes, medium size, white oblong grains, and red grains with shiny surfaces. So I wrote to 20 sand quarries and manufacturers around the country likely to have red and brown sand colors. And I would need, that I would need in this project, but six were sent back um, with samples from which I selected four purple crushed garnet sand, red dark crushed garnet sand, and yellow blasting sand, and white silica blasting sand. So let's talk about the paint. 
I use standard exterior oil-based alkaloid resin house paint for testing. So I had the first paint dealer make up three sample quarts. These were solid, rather intense hues that ranged from a rich brown to a brownish purple. A gallon of the same paint in white was also purchased for blending with the browns. Working with a good paint dealer is essential when developing methods and materials for a finish as unusual as sanded paint. But I must tell you, I mean, uh, I, I work between Sherwin-Williams paint and Benjamin Moore, and I lean more to the Sherwin-Williams uh, for various reasons. But I must tell you, so you better make yourself well acquainted with a particular franchise or dealer because their, their quality and ability to provide the proper basis for paint colors really comes into question. I mean, I've been at times when I've needed five gallons, 10, 20 gallons, and they only have a base, uh, three or four of, of my base in, and it takes them weeks. So you must uh, do some advanced research. It's well uh, to your advantage, if you, even if you have to travel 10, 15 miles to another dealer or store location that has the paint instead of holding you up. So, so tr again, try to, and, and try to, to use a dealer who personally has had some years of painting experience, but unfortunately I find that there's just too many young people with no experience. And uh, so the dealer's, the dealer's services uh, for the work that I was performing uh, went beyond the ordinary, though. So that, this was a godsend and included eight or ten attempts at a color matching and finding special paint additives. And Sherwin Williams is very good at that. I mean, I painted weather vanes that are 180 uh, uh, feet up in the air, and and uh, and using a one of their paints that uh, they put on airplanes. So let's talk about panels. I, I cut a couple dozen one foot squares out of quarter inch scrap plywood. Both sides were primed twice, so the porous wood surface wouldn't affect the samples. Equipment. So I brought an I I I brought an air compressor and the usual brushes and mixing containers. And I tried a, a glitter gun, which is a, a stock air tool used for special finish effects, but had more success with a V-trough made out of a quarter-inch uh, masonite-type duct tape. The V-trough is roughly 10 inches long and 3 inches on a side. In use, you dump about a cup and a half of sand mix into the open top of the trough. When you set a compressed air nozzle in the small notch at the back end, a controlled blast of air flows across the top of the sand, carrying a light dusting of the open front of the trough. So let's talk about the testing we did with the sanding of the paint. So I began with testing by mixing four parts of brown paint with one part of white paint for a medium tint and one part of each of the four sands. Careful measurements of both sand and paint assures being able to reproduce the sample if it is needed for the actual work. In each testing step, I change one of the dozen or so variables, supplied that combination to a sample panel, and then moved on, judging the results as the panels dried. I worked at mixing the, an, an application while also uh, keeping well uh, in stock notes, invaluable for going back to step one, two, or three, or whatever step you need to do to make sure that it gives you the results you're looking for.
So I did 10 panels trying out different sand mix proportions and then focused on application methods, including blasting the sand onto the paint with the sandblasting cup. Uh, I also tried different air pressures, distances from the paint, and uses of the V-trough. The first problem was encountered with light streaks showing up on each brush stroke when the area had less sand stick to it than normal. So I tried a variety of solutions, increased air pressure for one, and found that applying the paint in two coats and letting the initial coat tack off or dry a little first gave us a thicker paint film and held enough sand in all. So I made over 20 sample practice uh, panels in total. So let's talk about preparation. Quality results in any paint job requires good, thorough preparation. A phase, a phase that may wind up to be as much as 80% of the total work. A sound surface is especially important for a sanded paint job because of all the effort invested in application. Adhesion is also a more critical because the final paint film is less flexible. Preparation may be simple as washing or as difficult as complete paint removal down to bare wood. I tested these steps up to our sanded paint coat. Number one, remove heavy buildup of paint down to the bare wood. Number two, clean surfaces by scrubbing with detergents or solvents. Number three, repair all damaged woodwork. Number four, consolidate and seal porous weathered surfaces. Apply one coat of primer. And last, sand lightly between coats and also to mention caulk joints between elements. And apply one full top coat of exterior paint to protect the wood and let it dry. So let's talk about the application. A team approach is necessary for sanded paint application, particularly over vast surfaces both to make the technique work and to achieve a good rate of production. A typical crew that what we use consists of a painter who brushes on the paint and a sandman who applies the sand. An assistant is helpful to mix the sand, just as the air compressor handle hoses and to reset the scaffolding. In setting up the work, I found that it was critical to prevent wind, warm air, and direct sunlight from drying the paint prematurely. A big step was to work during cooler weather and in the shade, using tarps when necessary. Paint additives, paint additives such as Penetrol, manufactured by the, uh, by the flood company, may also be used to retard drying. The main way I controlled drying, however, was to limit the work at any one time at any one area that could be painted in minutes and at air temperatures of around 65 degrees or less. So don't just do not let it be too hot. So I also considered each building element as a separate treatment area. So for example, a small 18 by 24 inch frame panel would be a typical area, while a large 30 inch by 84 inch frame panel would be divided up by its separate elements, styles, rails, etc. So I settled on a routine and worked that worked quite well for, for my, my team. So number one was to apply the tack cloth 
the tack coat rather, lay on the paint in a thin to moderate wet film thickness with a brush or roller. Then give it time to dry until the wet sheen goes to mute. Next, number two, apply the full coat. Lay on the paint in a wood aerate to heavy, <coughs> to, to moderate to heavy wet film thickness. In other words, as thick as possible without getting or, you know, drooping or drooling. Number three, apply the sand. Blow the sand onto the wet full coat as soon as possible. Keep the front of the vitroth 12 to 14 inches away from the paint surface and avoid changing the distance as you move. Use enough pressure around 50 PSI to dust the sand lightly onto the wet paint. For personal safety, goggles are a must. Respirators may be needed to protect lungs, especially if you're using silica sands. So I made sure windows in the building were closed and other surfaces protected with tarps. Wipe the wet edges, and this was always this always had to be careful to wipe those wet edges as the last treatment area with a rag. This helps to define the line between the elements and treatments treated areas and prevents overlapping, which adds extra paint thickness and causes shades and texture changes. So also check for sags or other bare spots in the work at the time. Next, repeat the procedure in the next area. Next, return the for touch-ups. Before the <coughs> surrounding paint has dried completely, look for sags and runs produced by the extra weight of the sand or places you accidentally bumped into. To correct these mishaps, first scrape off the sand and paint carefully with a putty knife and wipe, uh, <coughs> wipe the paint back to a sharp edge with a rag soaked in paint thinner. Then reapply the tack and full coat of paint using a small artist brush and resand as in the third step that I talked about. At times, it is difficult to get an even appearance with a single sand coat, especially on carvings and turnings. In these cases, the second sand coat, two paint coats and an application of sand often produces better results because the texture of the first coat holds more paint. The trade-off for improved looks is <coughs> is that the finish is less flexible and its long-term performance may be limited. A good approach is to stick to one coat in all the areas, not subject to close scrutiny. Particular details, such as the rooftop balustrade, where the severe exposure makes the weather, weatherability on the coating much, much more important. As, the, as a final piece of advice on application, say a prayer <laughs> by this, by this, everyone should say a prayer when you're doing it by first. No, I think this is a very easy process. So just take it methodically as we laid it out here. But so just remember, you can control only so many of the variables and methods of this process and the materials. And you may end up with a good portion of artistic skill and judgment on the spot at the as the work proceeds. It's also important to keep in mind that you don't have to achieve perfection because it was never achieved in the beginning um, because all the stones, if they were really stones um, where we're trying to, to emulate them, 
would have had a lot of variation. So the evidence suggests that early sanded paint jobs were not flawless, and that's probably part of the look too. So I hope everyone enjoyed. Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist, signing out.